passing through a half-open door. This orographic system belongs to the wildest part of Transylvania, known as the county of Klausenburg, or Kolosvar. A curious fragment of the Austrian Empire's is Transylvania, Erdely in Magyar, which means the country of forests. It is bounded by Hungary on the north, Wallachia on the south, Moldavia on the west, extending over 60,000 square kilometers, about six millions of hectares, nearly the ninth of France. It is a kind of Switzerland, but half as large again, and no more populous. With its tablelands under cultivation, its luxuriant pasturages, its capriciously carved valleys, its frowning summits, Transylvania, streaked by the plutonic ramifications of the Carpathians. It's furrowed by numerous watercourses, flowing to swell the Tace and the superb Danube, the iron gates of which, a few miles to the south, close a defile of the Balkan chain on the frontier of Hungary and the Ottoman Empire. Such is this ancient country of Dacia, conquered by Trajan in the first century of the Christian era. The independence it enjoyed under Jean Zapoli and his successors up to 1699 ended with Leopold I, who annexed it to Austria. But such was its political constitution that it remained the common abode of the races which elbow each other but never mingle. Wallachians, or Raumans, Hungarians, Tsikanis, Zecklers of Moldavian origin, and also Saxons, whom time and circumstances will end by magyarizing to the advantage of Transylvanian unity. To which of these types did the shepherd Frick belong? Was he a degenerate descendant of the ancient Dacians? He would not have found it easy to say so, to judge by his tumbled hair, his begrimed face, his bristly beard, his thick eyebrows, like two red-haired brushes, his bluish eyes, bluish or greenish, the humid corners of which were marked with the wrinkles of old age. He must have been sixty-five. You would never have guessed him less, but he was big, hardy, upright under his yellowish cloak, which was not as shaggy as his chest, and a painter would not have lost the chance of sketching him when he was wearing his grass hat, a true wisp of straw, and resting on his crook as motionless as a rock. Just as the rays penetrated through the break in the west, Frick turned over. His half-closed hand he made into a telescope, as he had already made it into a speaking trumpet to make his voice heard at a distance, and he looked through it attentively. In the clear of the horizon, a good mile away, lay a group of buildings with their outlines much softened by the distance. This old castle, occupied on an isolated shoulder of the Vulcan Range, the upper part of a tableland called the Orgal Plateau, in the bright light, the castle stood out with the clearness displayed in stereoscopic views. But nevertheless, the shepherd's eye must have been endowed with great power of vision to be able to make out any detail in that distant mass. Suddenly, he exclaimed as he shook his head, Old castle, old castle, you may well stand firm on your foundation. Three years more and you will have ceased to exist for your beech-tree has only three branches left. This beech-tree, planted at the extremity of one of the bastions of the enclosure, stood out black against the sky, 
and would have been almost invisible at that distance to anyone else than Frick. The explanation of the shepherd's words, which were caused by a legend relative to the castle, we will give in due time. Yes, he repeated, three branches. There were four yesterday, but the fourth has fallen during the night. I can only count three at the fork, no more than three, old castle. No more than three. If we attack a shepherd on his ideal side, the imagination readily takes him for a dreamy, contemplative being. He converses with the planets. He confers with the stars. He reads in the skies. In reality, he is generally a stupid, ignorant brute. But public credulity easily credits him with supernatural gifts. He practices sorcery. According to his humor, he can call up good fortune or bad.